Before we start, a brief warning that today's episode talks about coercive control within intimate relationships as well as cults. Hi Dad. Hi Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe my head. The thing is though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to What Should I Think About? I'm Stephen and uh, it's just me today. Unfortunately, Celine's uh, not with us today. She has a, a hospital appointment, so... Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's just me, but I'm very, very happy to have the company of Min Grob. She's a peer researcher, campaigner, and public speaker on the subject of coercive control and recovering from trauma, and is the founder of CC Chat magazine. Min, welcome to What Should I Think About? Hi, and thank you very much for inviting me. I've been looking forward to, to this chat, actually, for quite some time. We had our kind of little pre podcast chat and we just carried on chatting for about an hour didn't we 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 could have actually done the podcast then but um it was so nice to talk to you so really looking forward to this um would it be okay to just tell us a little bit about what you do your work um i know you've got interest in the magazine and also in the conferences that you put on so maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself please okay well um the first thing is that um i have lived experience of coercive control so i was in a relationship that was very coercive and very controlling but at the time I didn't realize that because at the time it was framed as though the problem was me it was you know I had mental health problems I was this I was that so I never really actually saw the control for what it was until after I came out of the relationship as a result of that and um, various things that happened after the relationship because with coercive control the abuse usually often doesn't stop when the relationship ends it sort of carries on post-separation um you know certain things happen and the police weren't taking it seriously so I decided you know you know what there was one night where I was I couldn't sleep and I just thought oh you know how can I make you know how can I get sort of you know people to understand what's going on oh I know I'll hold a conference so by 10 o'clock the following morning I'd had a venue I had two speakers and I had no idea what to do (laughs) and I was like oh god what now so um so that's really how I started it was um a reaction more than a conscious action so this conference it was only going to be a one-off at the time I was training to be a lawyer and um but you know on on the back of that I had so many people saying you need to you know have another conference you need to continue this on so I decided to continue it on so since then there have been um oh off the top of my head I think five or six national conferences and a whole quite a few smaller events you know webinars you know smaller local events and 
I haven't actually had anything for a while because COVID sort of um, sort of nixed that a little bit. Sure. But during sort of setting up the conferences, which, by the way, is absolutely exhausting to do if you're doing it single handedly, <laughs> yeah. especially if you haven't got a clue, is um, I thought, you know what, how can I get the, you know, carry on campaigning on and around coercive of control, you know, when the conference, conferences aren't on. And so that's when I set up CC Chat, which was originally a newsletter. Yep. And then um, one day I thought, you know what, let's turn it into a magazine. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and it's been going since oh gosh i think the t- off the top of my head 2017 um i'm currently working on um the i think the th- issue number 30 okay well and um which is that theme is going to be the internalized abuser so that's something i'm actually very look i'm very much looking forward to getting out there mm. and the thing about cc chat which is what I really wanted to do. It's a free magazine. It's available online. Hmm. It's available all over the world, you know, as long as you've got internet access. And the idea is that it's always going to be free. And it's to bring together stories of coercive control, research, um, you know, sort of frontline working practice. And the one thing also that I feel quite strongly about is... um, to have the lived experience, have have the personal experience on the page, because quite often um, for a victim of coercive control, they they can't talk about their experience sort of, you know, in the newspapers or in magazines, mm. whatever, unless, you know, the abuser has a conviction. Because the thing is, um, obviously, the, obviously the magazines, the newspapers are concerned about being sued, and yeah. coercive controllers are, by the nature of their being, they're litigious. Mm. So there is no way a victim of um, coercive control can really speak out openly about their story, say, That's you know, in, in a paper or magazine, mm. because, um, you know, their abuser will threaten the publication. Mm. So, I mean, with me, I've got a very small magazine you know, if someone were to sue me, you know, they wouldn't get anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe a couple of oranges and, you know, <laughs> like, you know, last year's sweater or something, you know, and, oh, and a cat. And um, and I am quite careful. Most of the um, personal stories that I cover, they're um, anonymized. Sure. But it, yeah. it's but telling your story, which is something that I personally experienced, telling your story it wasn't so much that I wanted like an audience to hear it. Yeah. It was to get it out of you. You know, it was cathartic, yeah. cleanse yourself mm. of what was inside. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. It's something that um, the more I've done this podcast with Celine and the more research that, that I've done um, into this subject, the more that the idea of telling a story seems to be more and more important or it's, it's becoming more obvious that it is so important. Um, It's the way we make sense of our experiences. In fact, it's the way we make sense of everything in life. You know, we are as a, as human beings, we are storytellers and listeners to stories. We, we do it all the time. We watch TV, we watch films, we read books. 
we make up our own narratives about what's happened to us and we we create them as stories so absolutely and that's something that's really interesting because it's um obviously with our podcast we talk about cults um and generally we talk about cults that are well known as being cults or high control groups and um, i think we're, we're fairly well protected from any um litigation because it's obvious you know um but um but yeah i can see why that would be very difficult if you you know if you're in a a relationship with somebody who is uh who is like that then yeah there's a there's a risk there so that actually is still controlling the person even after as you said after the relationship's finished massively it's a massive control and and if you think about coercive control also it's a lot of it is in fact most of it is bespoke to the victim yeah so um it's the kind of control that isn't easy for an outsider to define yeah you identify and to evidence unless they actually really understand it, they have an in-depth understanding. Mm. And so the chances are, if you were to report it to the police, you wouldn't get a conviction. Right. And in mm. the perpetrator's head, that would be, oh, there isn't a conviction. You know what? I'm innocent. You're a liar. You're mentally yes. ill. You're this, you're that, false mm. allegation. But the truth of the matter is to get a conviction on something that is bespoke and very personal to a victim that most people identifying and evidencing don't actually really understand is it's a huge hurdle. Mm. And I think that is something that isn't understood nearly well enough. So could you help us to understand a bit more then about the, I suppose, the modus operandi, you know, how is it that um, these people that that coercively control, and we're talking um, at the moment, I suppose we're talking mostly about relationships, um, kind of intimate relationships, I guess, family relationships, where one partner is coercively controlling another um could you tell us a little bit about the methods how how do they go about doing that there's a playbook if you like yeah but um the thing to also understand is that even though there are a number of things that somebody who coercively controls does it isn't coercive control unless it has a certain impact on um the target audience, the victim. So okay. say, for example, um, you know, class, cursive control, it's always cited as being, does someone check your mobile phone? Mm. Do they prevent you from going out? Do they tell you what to wear? The, you know, which, you know, on the face of it, that could be coercive control, but it could mm. just be an asshole. You know, yeah. if the person, if, if someone's telling you, do you know what, Stephen, I don't like what you're wearing. Put something else on. Mm. Or I shouldn't, you know what, I don't like you going out with those those friends. Don't don't you know, I don't don't go out with them. And um if, if they sort of check your phone, you know, if you go about and do it anyway, or if you it doesn't bother you, you know, you you're happy, you know, for, I, I don't know. A good example is, you know, maybe they've had a really, really bad experience and you're happy to give them that reassurance because sure. you know what it's, where it's coming from. Then that's not necessarily coercive control. But having said that, um, the playbook tends to be with coercive control. And it is really very much like with cults is um, 
they ensnare you with love bombing. Yeah. It's I to to this day I haven't come across any instances of coercive control that have been slow burn. You so know. what? So in in cults, we normally think about love bombing as being when you, uh, you know, when you first turn up to the first meeting, or um, that the first people that you meet from the cult, they they shower you with uh, with compliments and they tell you how you're amazing, you know, and you, you're you're one of the you're one of the special people, you know, and it's um, you, you're really made to feel great. Um, is that is that the same thing then? Is that is that what's happening with these relationships? That is exactly that is exactly the same thing. So you, yeah. you you meet with somebody, and within a very short space of time, it's you know you're their destiny. It's fate. Your soulmates. Your twin right. flames. You're destined to be together forever, and True. they will try to speed the relationship along. And you know they they will they will turn up unexpectedly. They will not give you a moment. They want to spend every moment you know every second of the day with you right. and it's really unless you understand um how love bombing works it's really easy to um i suppose um fall for that because most people won't have had that level of attention you know mm. being put on a pedestal being adored and let's be honest it's it's a nice feeling for everyone to think you know that we're absolutely amazing and um and the reason they do that is because they have to get the person they're targeting to fall in love with them quickly. Because okay. the longer you leave it, the more likely it is that you'll find out that they're an asshole. Right. Okay. So it's time is of the essence. So there's mm. there's this, and and also you know the thing about love bombing is they don't give you a moment to breathe you're completely overwhelmed you're completely over you know engulfed by all of this you're basically sure. you're swept away right and um, and i see this also because you say this with cults i see this also in um in the new age field Mm-hmm. In, in the new age well-being field as well where mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you'll, you'll go somewhere and you know before you know it it's you have an amazing aura yes you yes. <laughs> can see your your spirit is so pure <laughs> <laughs> you know come and spend 300 pounds on this retreat yes. and with, with yeah, other yeah. pure people who you know who mm-hmm. are not you know <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's right, isn't it? So the love bombing then is part of this this um, this playbook. Mm. Uh, what else? What what other what other tactics do they employ? Well, what they then do, and this happens more often than not, is what they then have to do is they have to test the water because okay. they need to find out whether you actually have fallen in love with them, or you know maybe you're pretending, or I don't know. And so what they'll do is they, they want to find out exactly what the boundaries are, so they start pushing on them. So you'll get out of the blue, quite often you'll get um, either abuse, you know, that they'll, they'll, they'll lose their temper, they'll call you all kinds of names, they'll reject you, you know, they'll end the relationship. But I think the defining thing about that is it comes out of the blue and you're not expecting it. And because you're not expecting it, you've been love bombed, you've been put on a pedestal, you think, oh my goodness. It can't be them. It has to be me. Right. And then at that point, all you want to do is to get back to that wonderful phase that you've never, ever had before, unless you've been love bombed before. 
and so you um, modify your behavior to appease that person. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, the person who's controlling knows that they can push your boundaries. Right. Because, I mean, the, the thing is, we don't, we're not, we're not told, which we should, you know, th- this should be lesson number one for any, for any child sort of entering puberty sort of onwards. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if, if someone love bombs you and then treats you badly after they've given you a lot of, you know, intense mm-hmm. attention is to dump them because that's <laughs> testing. That's because, you yeah. know, that's testing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's testing. Mm-hmm how much you're willing to accept. It's testing how strong your boundaries, Mm. you know. And then there's a cycle of that. You know, there's a cycle of intense love and it's absolutely amazing and then it gets shitty and then it gets abusive. And, you know, and this, I mean, it's not everyone sort of um, agrees with this, but this cycle sort of creates a trauma bond. Mm. And... um, what ends up is that your boundaries are eroded. You automatically think that the good periods are actually the periods where um, that you know that's actually the abusers, you know, sort of true self, true personality. Yeah, yeah. And the bad periods, you know, the periods where the relationship's really, 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 um, you know, really bad. That's actually your fault. And this sort of cycle happens and there's a whole bunch of things that happens you know they they monitor what you do and um, which puts you on edge and the main thing i don't think the, the main thing they do is they will isolate you because if they isolate you you have no frame of reference for normality you know, otherwise you can talk to your mom, you can talk to your friend, you can yeah, talk to the person yeah. at work. So if they isolate, so quite often it'll be, you know, they want you to move house. So you have to start all over again. I've written down a few things that I was going to ask you about. And um, yeah. love bombing was one of them. Um, isolation was another one. Um, uh, because these are all things that, um, and I've got a few others that I'm going to run by you in a minute, but these are all things that um, absolutely relate to uh, to, to my experience of, of high control groups and it it seems like um, the high control bit is the is the coercive bit so that's another word word actually I was going to ask you about is control and the use of power so it seems like these relationships are all about um, controlling the other person and doing that by having a, a kind of unequal power relationship with that person would you would you say that's that's the way that it works in these relationships too yeah i would totally agree it's all about power and control and in fact going back to the love bombing mm. i mean there are you know that there, there are sort of situations there are relationships you can get where um, you know you meet someone and it's love at first sight and you know it's and you end up sort of together forever and it's amazing mm. and it's fated and your soulmates there are those sorts of relationships yeah. so i'm not saying that every time you have a relationship that is really heady and intense that that has to be love bombing sure and it's going to be bad you know there are instances where you know, you meet, your eyes meet across the room and you just know you're going to get married. You know, there are. But the difference, I think, between that and between the love bombing is that with the love bombing, quite quickly, 
in the course of the relationship, there's going to be a pattern of humiliation and degradation hmm. because the per- because the um, the controller, let's just call them that, the controller hmm. will want to um, make you feel bad about yourself because hmm. if you feel bad about yourself, you're easier to control. Whereas in a relationship where, you know, your eyes meet across the room, you know you're going to get married, it's a, it's very um, mutually supportive. And that is not what you get with love bombing. And I, I think it's really important to sort of differentiate between, you know, the two. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, uh, you mentioned before about um, education and um, uh, it seems to me that there's a lot of, uh, relationship stuff um, and also awareness of cults and, and so on that needs to be done at school because, you know, youngsters should should have an awareness of these sorts of uh, behaviours. I totally agree. And I think that the expression you use, high control group, I actually think that's perfect because I think that the more I understand coercive control, the more, and I, I am unusual in this, I know, the more I, the, the, the bigger the tendency to step away from just focusing on intimate relationships mm. and looking at power and control in the world in any yeah. kind of setting. Because for me, it makes a bit of a nonsense to look at coercive control and that kind of level of subjugation within an intimate relationship but then you're not addressing it in the workplace. You're not addressing mm. addressing it in an educational setting. You're not addressing it sort of online, because what that then says is that the same behaviour is wrong in one context and is acceptable in another. Mm. You know, which is mm. just and you can mm. just you know somebody who is going to be coercive and controlling. Um, they're going to be controlling across the board. Mm. But they're also more than controlling the um, their victim or their target. More than that, they're going to be controlling how they are presented. Mm. And I think that it would be really, really helpful if we actually understood how, you know, these persons, you know, how they present and their how psychology. it manifests. Mm, exactly yeah. because then you can mm. identify it in relationships in jobs mm. in um you know family environments you know your, your yeah. in-law your in-laws your outlaws your yeah. um <laughs> you, you know you, you know yeah. your scout group yeah I, i'm it's an area of interest to me um i i want to do some work around sort of um so so cults are essentially organizations that are um a bit different you know but they are organizations at the end of the day um and so when you're looking at organizations you know you're thinking about workplaces and clubs and charities and so on so um i think it's interesting to see how some of these same principles expand into those other areas i definitely Mm. think that's um that's an area of interest i was gonna um going back into the um the family situation um i guess my assumption is that uh, the perpetrator is uh more often a man um and it's it's perhaps the the, the sort of relationships that you're 
you, you've been talking about or you, certainly you've experienced are in a, a r- sort of romantic or intimate relationship. But I was also thinking about parents and uh, and children. Um, is that is that also an area of concern? That that because I, I think uh, I don't know if you um, you probably haven't listened, but my wife um, was my guest or our guest on our podcast um, a few weeks ago, and she talks about her upbringing and um, as a Jehovah's Witness child, but also in a a family where her mother was also very controlling, and and so it was kind of like a um, almost a cult within a cult really and Mm -hmm. we've talked about it on the show so it's not not that we're I'm saying anything that she's not talked about um I just wondered whether that's something that we also need to be aware of there's a lot of discussion if you like about coercive control being sort of patriarchal without actually looking at the instances where it's matriarchal Mm. It's. I, th- I think it's, I mean, generally speaking, you, you, you see more male controllers because that's where the power is. Yeah. But there are plenty of instances where um, the control is, you know, with the woman, with the mother. Mm. And quite interesting now, what I'm seeing now with um, sort of, you know, the new generation of people is it's probably going to go the other way at some stage. You know, I, I certainly know a lot of instances of, um, you know, relationships, you know, young relationships, you know, sort of college age where the abusive partner is actually the girl. Yeah, there's no reason why um, it, it would always be the man. And I think it's interesting, actually, Min, um, as I was doing the preparation for this, I, um, I actually watched for the first time i've never seen the film uh, gaslight uh, i don't oh, know whether you've seen the film which one the ingrid bergman one or the british one the british that one is... the 1941 oh, that's brilliant that one mm. um so i watched that and um it was quite interesting because um obviously it, it's the if our listeners don't know gaslight is the is the film that gives the name to this um term gaslighting which um, we can perhaps talk about in a bit more detail. But the the relationship that's portrayed there is this man who is essentially um, he's he's manipulating his wife. Um, although he's actually been ma- he's already married, he's a bigamist. But um, he's manipulating his wife to believe that she's going mad. It's her that's the problem, and it's actually all these things are, are down to her. Um, but it was interesting because the way because obviously it's situated in the culture that it was made in in the 1940s um that the woman is still although it's a story about this man um mentally abusing his wife essentially she is still situated as the helpless woman and there are assumptions about what she can and can't do that support what he's doing essentially you know even the even the friendly characters the good characters the goodies in the film um have assumptions about what she can do and what she can't do that play into what this man is doing so um society kind of contributes to the setup that this man is then able to take advantage of so that that kind of alludes to what you're you were saying about where the power is 
uh, when the power is is with um, the husband within that relationship, then then it's it's easier for him to to fulfill that role. I suppose in a a mother daughter relationship, the mother is is the one with the power, um, so therefore there is that risk. Unless the the mother is very elderly and the daughter has power of attorney over her. So you can have the other the other way you, around. You get the sort of you know child to parent um, yeah choice of control yeah. as well, which which doesn't sort of get sort of discussed at all. That's really interesting. And, need, and yeah, needs to be, especially as mm. you know, as we're living longer. So the chances yeah. are that more and more of us are going to end up more and more of us who have abusive children are going to end up at risk of being abused by them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. So is this um, is this a learned behaviour? So is this uh, from both parties? I suppose from both um, from from the perpetrator and the person experiencing the the uh, the coercive control. Um, is this learned behaviour? Is this something that maybe they've seen in their past? I suppose we're trying to get into motivations here, which is is always difficult. But I don't know whether you've got any thoughts on. I that. suppose, I suppose, if you don't know any better, you'll behave in the way that you've witnessed, in a way mm. that you've grown up. I suppose, but there comes a point where, you know, even if you don't know any better, you know, you know it's wrong. Yeah. So I suppose the thing about coercive control is it's not this like one thing. Yeah. Where you know someone controls another person. It's on a continuum. My my ex uh, religious upbringing was Jehovah's Witnesses. I consider that a high control group. Um, I'm happy to call it a cult, um, but I don't think it's the same level of cultishness as I don't know Jim Jones or um, you know uh, Solar Temple or something like that. You know. So yeah. I think there's. There are there are levels of of cultishness, if you like. There are and and within and within that sort of cult, there'll be levels of control. So there'll be there'll, there'll be some Jehovah's Witnesses who are really really controlling, and there'll be yeah. some who are just you know. And I suppose to answer your question, is it learned behaviour? I think the control at the, like the lower level. I think that is potentially could be learned behavior if you don't know any better if you've grown up seeing yeah. that. Mm. But I think the very intense high level kind of control that really really subjugates mm. I think there has to be something in you that actually wants to make that happen. Mm. It's it's not just you sort of, you know, um you know, so you're not you're, you're not just following a, a pattern. You're you're consciously making decisions about you're, you're yeah, this is what I need to do now. You're consciously perpetuating it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the kind of control, the kind of control we're talking about, where mm. somebody wants to humiliate and degrade someone to such an extent that they force them to eat out of the dog bowl on the floor because they say not hoovered their carpet properly. That's not, I don't think that's not, that's not learned behavior. No. The kind of coercive control where, you know, you tell your partner that um, they have to have sex with you and then they're not allowed to wash afterwards. You know, that, I mean, you're, you're, you're looking, I think 
when you're looking at stuff that's really humiliating, really degrading, I mm-hmm. think you have to question some per- the, the person's um, motivation there. Yeah. And something yeah. we don't actually discuss nearly often enough is how humiliation, shaming and degradation are a huge part of control. Because if you feel dirty, if you feel ashamed, mm. then you're not really going to put yourself out there, are, are you? You're, 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 mm. you're going to be, um, yeah, you're going to be much easier to control. Yeah. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about some of these uh uh, this this playbook is there anything else there because that, that's that's another thing this is shaming humiliating um that's terrible is that is that something that, that that's an experience that you know about somebody being made to eat out of out of a bowl well a i mean bowl? well that i i do know that there, that, that there was a case hmm. but that wasn't my personal experience but sure. the, my personal yeah. experience was there was a lot of humiliation a lot of um degrading and because I was made to feel really really dirty it's something I didn't want to speak up about and it's something I sort of pushed sort of down I avoided Mm. looking at and I created a sort of persona for myself that was really gregarious really fun and you know and, and deep down I was actually dying inside and it got to the point where um I was so good at creating this you know so this you know gregarious persona that um i didn't actually really understand realize how unhappy i was does that make mm. sense because i just i was able to switch it on you know yeah. yeah 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 so how did you or how do others um start to recognize that they are in uh, a, a, an abusive relationship, a coercive relationship. How how do you start to recognise that? My own experience and the experience of a, a man, many I've you know spoken with um, over the years is that they don't recognise it until they've left. Right. And um, something will happen which will sort of signify the end of a relationship. And um, quite often they will think it's their fault. The end, the relationship is ended because of, you know, it's their fault. Right. And um, or somebody will tell them this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. So they have that yeah. frame of reference, you know, which mm-hmm. is um, which is one of the reasons that um, a controller will try and isolate you because they don't want you know, people talking to you and actually sort of telling you, you know, yeah, yeah, what they can see. Yeah, and it, it seems like um, the person doing that, the perpetrator, is is finding the weakness, if you like, or the um, that's perhaps the wrong word, but finding a, um, a, a a niche that they can they can get into to create that feeling that they want to. You're absolutely dependent upon them. You're Mm. absolutely right. And in fact, what I quite often, the way I describe coercive control to someone who sort of sort of doesn't understand it and thinks it's just someone checks your phone and someone sort of, you know, tells you they don't want you to wear sort of, you know, short skirts or something is they, it's, if you watch Jurassic Park. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, many times. <laughs> checking the fences, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, you, you know, the yeah. raptor. The raptor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick, checking the integrity of a fence. A coercive mm. controller will literally look at a person, and they may not be doing this consciously. It may just be sort of like, you know, you know, it, it may just be part of their personality or whatever. But it's look identifying signs of vulnerability. Yeah. And those signs of vulnerability may be, you know, sort of like, you know, having a deprived childhood. It may be, you know, feeling self-conscious about your knees. You know, yeah. it it, yeah. it it may be, you know, having a dis- eating disorder or it may be you didn't do that well at school. You know, and, and they'll focus on any. So, you know, it, it, it could be anyone can actually be controlled if their weak spot, if you like, is is um, is targeted. Yeah. yeah, and that that seems to suggest that the person um, we 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 asked the question before is it a learned behaviour? So it may it, there may be a learned element to it, but it, that does suggest that there is a knowing, calculating um, effort going going on to to actually undermine that person and uh, mm. yeah and get get inside there their head certainly what um, i've certainly what i've noticed and i mean i don't know if this is true across the board maybe it's just something i've noticed but with most people who are very coercively controlling is they enjoy what they do there's a level of um, sadism in there. Yeah. So they enjoy seeing, they enjoy humiliating you. They, they, they enjoy seeing you feel bad. They enjoy seeing you cry. They enjoy watching you plead. You know, they, 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 yeah. they enjoy the power they have yeah. of taking away your happiness. And yeah. that's really not explored enough. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, are there any other red flags that, that, we should be aware of any sort of warning signs that that we should be aware of when um if on the first date if on the first date all they do is um is slag off their ex and all their exes (laughs) massive red flag massive red flag it's like Mm. if they can't say anything nice Mm. if on the first date all they want to do is hear about you and they don't want to say anything. It's not that they're being attentive. It's right. because they're mining information. Okay. You know, so, so, don't, so don't open up and tell them all about, you know, everything right up, you know, all the way back to sort of primary school. It's like hold back. Um, another massive red flag is... Um, if on the first date they're already making plans that you're going to get married, you know, oh, they want your babies, it's like, oh, my God, that's way too fast. It's like step back. Yeah. Um, oh, there is, so, there is so many. If someone says, you know, if you've been dating someone and it's not that long and if they've, if, if, if the angle they're um, using is you're my soulmate, we're meant to be together, you're uh, my twin flame, and they try to rush you into moving in Mm. together, well, then just take a step back because Mm. 
if you really are their soulmate, if you really are destined to be together, what's the rush? Absolutely. You know, you you, yeah. you, you, you can you can string it out, you know. Mm. The mm. biggest red flag is being rushed. You mm. know? Interesting. Yeah. Very very useful information. Um not for me, I hasten to add. Um but, 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 uh, but it is useful for you because you can tell other people well, that's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's the question I was going to ask you, which I don't know if this is um, a bit controversial, but is there any way back um, for a perpetrator? So have you ever known a perpetrator, recognize what they're doing and genuinely change their ways? Or are they always going to be that person because this is i guess this is one of the the things that maybe some um some people who, who are in that situation might think that they they'll change you know they might change um in the future um it, it, what's your experience you know what that is actually an excellent question because the one thing that i'm so tired of is this sort of narrative where, you know, sort of um, where perpetrators are seen as evil and they're seen as scum and, and you know, they should just be sort of thrown in prison. And the thing is, at the end of the day, is if we, all of us are completely honest, we're all capable of pretty shitty behaviours. Mm. And there comes a point where we stop, we know when to stop. And it might be because, you know, we have a really good radar and we actually know how to stop naturally or because we've gone too far with somebody and then losing that person, you know, wakes us up and gets us to stop. I think that um, the biggest problem with any kind of perpetrator, any kind of abuser sort of seeking help is the fact that society shames them. Mm. And I think we need to come at it as in, you know what, is we, we're all capable of bad behaviour. If you think that your behaviour isn't great, come and seek help and mm. do it from a very neutral, non-judgmental sort of background. Mm. There are always going to be perpetrators who pretend that they want to change. Yes. There are always there are always perpetrators who, if you force them to change, they're not going to change, or they'll play the game until mm. it's safe to no longer play the game. And there are always going to be perpetrators who basically don't give a shit, and they're going to, you know, they're going to carry on doing their thing. But I think there are a huge number of people who perpetrate who actually aren't bad people. They just have maybe poor impulse control. Maybe they, they can't get help. And I think that if we can actually focus on creating ways where they can actually get better education, learn how to manage their behaviours, understand where it's coming from, mm. then we're not just dealing with, you know, perpetrate perpetrators as sort of like you know a blanket sort of an umbrella mm. group mm. will only have to deal with the ones who are more resistant to change that's, that's my really interesting. personal view so i suppose if if um if as a listener we're thinking actually i do some of those things um it could be it could be worth thinking about that right do i do i actually need to 
um, to think again about my own behavior and, you know, do, do I need a bit of help myself? So, and that's a slightly different situation than a, than a victim. Um, trying to encourage a perpetrator to get some help, isn't it? That's the person themselves recognizing that they they need to do something about this behavior that is creating problems uh, for others. The thing, do you know what? The thing that really interests me is this, the thing that I found really interest, interesting, and I actually wish I was academic and I'm not, but is this sort of intermingling, this sort of, merging of perpetrator behaviors and you know sort of being a victim is where that sort of um, intersects and there are perpetrators who with some help would not perpetrate anymore and there are victims who are abusers you know, mm. who are really nasty. But for some reason, sort of societally, we don't like to talk about that crossover. You know, we like to have, you know, w- victims on one side yeah. of the continuum yeah. and perpetrators on the other. But the truth of the matter is that um, there are going to be people on either side, but there's going to be a huge grey area in the middle. Mm. And I think that... Um, Addressing that would, I know. That I mean, it, understanding it, I suppose, for me, um, I think what you're describing is is trying to understand the dynamics that are going on between uh, those individuals within that that situation. Um, so, yeah, it's it's difficult because no one wants to start to reduce the culpability. Yeah. of a perpetrator so we, we're always very careful that we don't want to reduce that and start blaming the victim for anything because it's not their fault um but understanding how the dynamics works within that relationship um, might be useful um in my field is organizational psychology and in organizational psychology there's there's this thing called leader member exchange which has got nothing to do with this subject but it reminds me of that because it looks at uh, relationships literally as dyads you know two individuals um and they are interacting and that you really have to understand that interaction to understand what's happening in that situation um and i think that's quite an interesting way of looking at it so understanding more about those um those interactions might be might be interesting but very very difficult to study i would have thought i think it'd be um, very difficult to study and i think yeah. also you, you you'd you'd come across a, quite a bit of um, resistance i don't think you'll be yeah i don't think you'd be popular <laughs> no no that's right um and understandably so mm. in, in many respects yeah um i was gonna mention the um cc chat actually because there's some cracking articles in that i wanted to uh, flag that up you mentioned that already um so listeners will put on the um the show notes a link to your website which is his cc chat and um, through that website you can access your back catalog of, of all your um, previous magazines um so there's a couple in there that i wanted to flag up one is the the elephant in the room which i thought was very interesting so there's a a whole question around language there, which is fascinating stuff um, and the language we use in relation to talking about coercive control. 
victim versus survivor that was talked about um also the way that we uh, we might talk about how yeah i suppose a bit like we've just been talking about really the, the way that relationships work so i thought it was really interesting um but the other one which is brilliant is the um is what about cults of course <laughs> so you have a whole magazine uh, where you've interviewed Yanya Lalich, a previous uh, guest on this show, Alexandra Stein, another previous guest on this show, um, and you've you talk about um, uh, the original sort of work um, into uh, coercive control controlling groups. So great article that. Um, did you enjoy making that one? I actually loved it. I, I actually loved it. I mean, one of one of the reasons I actually sort of um, started, I suppose, drifting away from just looking at um, coercive control in relationships is because I'm really fascinated with the similarities in, um, mm. you know, sort of um, cultic groups. Yeah. And um, and I suppose it's my own personal experience as well in that. Um, you leave an abusive relationship and one of the um, first things many women especially I think do when they leave an abusive relationship is they will go to the self-help section of any bookshop or you know (laughs) Amazon and before you know it you can get drawn into some really coercive areas Mm that are, if not as abusive, you, you know, mm. as abusive as actually the relationship. Yeah. You, know, you get yeah. the love. You at, at a time where you're feeling really raw, you know, you, you get love-bombed by a new age group. Yeah. You know, yeah. at the time when you least need it, you least expect it. And that's something that... Um, I really wish that there was there was a greater understanding of that. So for any listeners yeah. on your show, if you've just left mm. an abusive relationship, <laughs> be really, really careful when you hit the self-help section. <laughs> yeah, I, I, here's a bit of a theory. Um, you, you said that women tend to hit the self-help uh, bookshelf, and I, I would say that um, guys might go for the conspiracy theory bookshelf um, oh. after leaving something like that. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that, there's no scientific um, merit to those statements at all. It's just, um, you know, just observations. But, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, thinking about some of the things we've said, uh, likening them to the to the relationships between that and cults, um, you know, Yanya Lalich's uh, bounded choice model is, is really good. Um, mm. And of course, I think that's such a brilliant name for it. You know, that almost describes everything you need to know, you know. So why don't people leave? Why don't people stop doing this? Why don't, why, why does the woman stay in that relationship? Why don't people leave that cult? Well, it's because they ha- don't have any, they don't have the full range of choices, that they that it might appear to you and me that they have, um, so that they they have a bounded choice. They have a few options, and it's all within this abusive relationship. Um, and then the other one I think is really interesting. I don't know what's your thoughts about Alexandra Stein's um, uh, attachments uh, 
a theory around um so attachment theory has been around a long time and he's very well established but she she likens or she identifies that what happens in an abusive relationship or a coercive relationship is that the abuser becomes both the that the person that is giving protection and love um and so on and the abuser so it, it sets up this this um relationship that is um that is abusive i actually think that from my own experience and from the experience of um probably most um people i've talked to that it's not something that we readily talk about but it's something we have experience of mm. so there's this there's this very difficult sort of um area where you know you love the abuser but you hate the abuse yes and there's this i suppose there's this narrative you know where once you leave the abuser you're supposed to hate them <laughs> mm. And you're not supposed to um, admit or acknowledge that you still have feelings for them, which makes it, it's a very difficult sort of area. It's very difficult to process that and to affect any healing from that position without understanding what's Mm. going on and why Mm. you have these feelings. And I just love, you know, I I, 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 I love the, the work of Lanya, and um alexandra because it's just it makes sense and meaning of my own experience Mm. Mm. it's and i think that if you can understand why you're feeling a certain way and what the basis of that is it's a lot better than going to the self-help section and buying (laughs) a book on codependence Yes. And then being told, well, you know, you're codependent because you can't live without them. I actually love um, when it comes to any kind of sort of for recovery work and stuff. I actually love Judith Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery. Okay. Because there's stuff in there that she looks at that, you know, normally just doesn't get addressed. You know, one of the things mm. that I feel, you know, that I think is just brilliant in there is she talks about where in your recovery you are, you know, if you have, you know, feelings of revenge. Because mm. let's be completely honest, we all have, we've all had that. We just, we're socialized not to talk about it. Mm. But it's, you know, if, if we can't talk about the things that um, affect us, then we can't possibly move beyond that. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a um, that that's a, a book we'll put on the notes as well. So we'll we'll give people lots of um, signposts to, to to places to go. Um, okay, cool. Is there anything that we've missed? Anything that I should have asked you? I always ask my guests this because it helps them do my work for me. Um, is there anything that we've not asked you that we should have done? Anything that we've not covered that you wanted to cover? I, th- I think we've pretty much covered it, haven't we? I mean, we've actually addressed some some areas that I think um, aren't ordinarily addressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, f- I find it really interesting. I knew I would, um, mm. and I think it's um, it's a really interesting area. What's your What's your plans for um, for CC chats and for the the conferences? Are you going to get back on the conferences again, or is that? 
I'm not sure, to be honest with you, because with, yeah. with the conferences there, um, you know, there, there are there are a lot more conferences out there, you know, people, especially with, you know, COVID sort of in, in mm. Zoom seems to have, um, yeah. you know, sort of seems to be dominating the conference sort of um, circuit, if you like. Mm. What I'd like to do is develop CC Chat and develop yeah. it into... Um, a format that's not just available online but is also available in the printed form Mm, that's what I'd really like to do you know have something that's available to read um, you know waiting rooms at you know doctor surgeries dentists hospitals sort of Mm. waiting rooms Mm. where people can just you know flick through and and, and read up on something that um, is still not dinner table conversation Mm. You know, so yeah. even though you know that there's 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 a section of society that's really you know quite comfortable talking about abuse, talking about sort of high control, talking mm. about um, um, you know anything like that really is the majority of the population just doesn't want to talk about it. They just wants to mm. sort of you know shove it under the. Um, carpet and i think that you know having cc chat you know there when you're at the dentist you know just flicking through yeah. <laughs> as you're having like your molars removed me. i think that'd be great you know no i think that's that's that sounds like a bit of a mission then doesn't it to uh, to bring that into the open yeah 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 well it's been great talking to you thank you so much min for being on what should i think about thank you very much for inviting me i've really enjoyed this What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production.